0: thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast!
1: Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support, protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialized solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers.
0: Good morning and welcome to the Sunday Social live on Teachers Talk Radio with Anna Hudson. We're just waiting for Anna to join the studio now, which she has done. So we're going to invite her in to speak. And then for the next 90 minutes, you'll be in the wonderful and capable hands of Anna Hudson. Take it away. You're on mute, Anna.
2: Ah, there we go. Is that, can you get got me now?
0: Yeah, all clear, all yours.
2: Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio and welcome to Sunday Social with me, Anna Hudson, AKA Miss H Teachers. Happy October, 1st of October. We made it through September. It's a very rainy day here where I am. How's the weather for you guys? How's your week been? what have been the best parts of the week what have been the challenges we're probably on about week four or week five for most of us that are listening so we're getting there half term is slowly in sight um and i suppose it's an opportunity today for us to perhaps reflect on the things that have been positive and challenging particularly in relation to behavior That's what today's show is all about, reflections on behaviour. What are our concerns and how do we address them? Um, I know myself, I found it quite tricky and quite challenging. I think we always do when we come back in September, that first autumn half term um, can be quite challenging. And we've got different cohorts, we've got our own lived experiences The children have got their experiences because obviously they've been off for the summer, you know, different routines, different expectations. We come back fresh, full of positivity, ready to go. Um, And sometimes we have to face some quite difficult situations. So hopefully in today's show, that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be focusing on. What are the challenges in behaviour at the moment? What can we do? to address them? How do we move forward positively to make sure that our next half term is even more productive than this one? What are the things that need to change and how do we change them? Now, obviously today, just before we get started, it's really important for all my listeners to do that mental health check-in. We are going to be talking about some challenging things and behaviour is one of them and it is a trigger for some listeners. So please just be mindful take care of yourself take care of your own well-being because that's super important if you would like to contribute today um please just put that little request in because we would love to hear your thoughts your opinions what's working for you what's not and um, hopefully i'm going to be joined by some very special guests today um steve towler who is a specialist teacher um and particularly focus on, focuses on behaviour, um, SEND, SEMH. Um, also Pipal, who I had the pleasure of working, uh, uh, working with, but also who I had the pleasure of interviewing last week, um, who's safeguarding, and we might have a little discussion around that as well in terms of what the challenges of behaviour um, have on safeguarding and attendance. Um, thank you to everybody that's listening so far. It's lovely to see you all. And let's deep dive into this. Let's get started. So, what are our concerns? How are our experiences within school and our classrooms impacting ourselves, our own mental health as, as teachers, as educators? How are they impacting the children who are displaying challenging behaviours? How is behaviour impacting? Other learners who are in the classroom. Um, We've got some really, really interesting statistics around behaviour, some that I think lots of us will relate to, some that I found quite shocking myself. Um, There was a well-recognised teacher questionnaire. Uh, They published uh, one of their surveys this week. Um, The question was, do you feel that you spend too much time on And then it listed a variety of options. 43% of teachers said behaviour management in and out of the classroom was what took up their most most amount of time. 43%, that's nearly half. To put that into context, 23% said it was marking. I mean, to me, that's just incredible that we have 43% of teachers saying that this is the main priority, this is the main issue. (sighs) What do we do? How do we change that? Are schools doing enough? Are our behaviour policies fit for purpose? Do we feel that the owners should be put on schools? Do we need to involve parents and carers more in addressing behavioural issues in school? There's a lot to think about. Um, The National Behaviour Survey report which came out in June, from the government, presented their findings for 2021 and 22. 41% of pupils said that they felt safe every day. Only 41%, less than half. 90% of school leaders said that behavior was good or very good, but that versus 64% of teachers. So we've got 90% of school leaders saying it's good or very good but only 64% who are in the classroom agreeing with that. And we've got 62% of school leaders and teachers reported that misbehaviour disrupted teaching. I mean, we are educators. We are in the classroom doing our best to impart knowledge, life skills, creating inclusivity, diversity. And yet we're all saying there's an issue here. Interesting stuff. Now, one of the things that I found really challenging was that the report said that for every 30 minutes of teaching, 6.3 minutes were lost to behaviour. 69% of teachers said it was one to 10 minutes per 30 minutes of teaching. So nearly a third of the lesson is taken up with managing behaviour. That is an incredible amount of lost learning. What do you think, listeners? Is this something you're facing yourself? How are you managing that in the classroom? Are you finding that this half term there's more issues with behaviour than ever before? Or have you got tried and tested strategies that are working for you? 60% of school leaders and teachers reported that pupils' misbehaviour had had a negative impact on their health and well-being, Are you finding that? Is behaviour an issue for you in your classroom? And what are the expectations from your SLT team? Are, are they expecting you to manage it independently? Are they offering support? Do you have a, a tiered approach? And what does that look like? I would absolutely love to hear from you. So please, you know, on the left-hand side, click on your mic if you'd like to contribute or please just follow us and just drop a little message because we'd love to hear your input okay one of the things I think from this report that um, that struck me as well is that there's up to six weeks of learning time that may have been lost through behavior last year six weeks same as the summer holidays it's an awful lot of time how do we navigate this what do we do what strategies are gonna work and what strategies aren't working. Do we need to be real about this? Do we need, to, do we need a, a different approach in schools? Is there a way to move forward to unify children and teachers together? Do we need to put more onus on our school councils? Do we need to encourage our children to offer that peer mentoring to each other? Would that work? that co-coaching style of saying let's hold each other accountable. I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So um, very interestingly as well, the NGA for Schools and Trusts produced their annual survey and for the first time the top three challenges cited included behaviour and exclusions and the most common reason for permanent exclusions in 2021 and 22 was persistent disruptive behavior. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? The most common reason. I don't think there's anyone sitting here that's saying that behavior isn't an issue, but what's changed? It feels like post COVID, there have been a lot more challenges, a lot more difficulties. What are you experiencing in the classroom? Is it harder? For those that have had a lot of experience, who maybe are really established teachers, how do we support our trainees and ECTs? We know that behavior can be challenging at times, but we're clearly seeing a marked change. Now I know that this is a really difficult subject to tackle. And I know there's been lots of talk um, on social media about, um, about behavior. I know there's a lot of teachers, a lot of educators reaching out and we are doing our best to support each other. But are schools as a whole doing enough? Is the government doing enough? Do we think there needs to be more? Does there need to be more support? Does there need to be more services involved? I'd be really interested in hearing your thoughts today. And thank you to everybody that's listening so far. It's lovely to have you all. Um, Now, Before we move on, I think it's really important that we have um, a chat with some of our listeners. So we've got Pip, lovely to see you here. We've got Kat, we've got Dale, Ahmed, Lucy, Tom's here. We've got Dawn, fantastic, lovely to see you all. And before we move on, I'm just going to have a little message from our sponsors. um, And a really, really important sponsor, actually, particularly when we're talking about behaviour. So, teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where Edapp come in. They're not your typical trade union, but instead, a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without politics. So what makes EDAP different? Well, they're always apolitical and independent they specialize solely in supporting individual teachers every caseworker is professionally qualified ensuring you get the best advice plus there's 24/7 mental health support whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations edapt are there for you join the thousands of educators who've chosen edapt to protect their careers subscribe at edapt dot org dot uk today, Edapt. supporting school staff, protecting careers. And there's something special for Teacher Talk Radio listeners during September. Use the codes TTR Annual or TTR Monthly, and you'll receive a ten percent discount on subscription. With EDAPT, you could save over eighty pounds compared to an equivalent union membership. Super important advice there. Um, I think it's really important when we face challenges around behaviour for staff to get that support from a union. Um, I can't recommend being in a union enough. I think there's not just in terms of the advice that they can offer, but also things like CPD and also that network of being able to reach out and get support from others. So, something really important to think about there. And thank you very much to EDAPT for their support. So, obviously, you know there's been a lot of talk on behavior on social media particularly this week um there's been some really really interesting tweets from people uh, when i put it out there that you know we were going to look at behavior that we were going to think about the challenges and reflect on what we could do um some of the tweets and the responses that i received were really really interesting some were really really positive um talking about strategies that they use in school how they best support um, their pupils But also some really difficult ones, actually. Um, Babushka said 18 years teaching and it's really hard going sometimes. Um, It's disgusting at times. I'm thinking of going into private school. Fiona Maxwell said it's a full moon and it seems to be whenever there's a full moon that we see a change in behaviour. Luke said I'm seeing so much on behaviour this term. Ultimately, I believe this is one of the core factors for retention of staff and the dropout rate. Really interesting. We know there's an issue around um, teacher retention. We know there's issues around teacher recruitment. Do you think behaviour is one of the main issues that we're facing? Is that putting people off from being in the classroom? I know myself, there are often really challenging days. And when those days happen, yeah we have to reflect on it, but it can impact mental health. We go to work to make a difference. We go to work because it's an important job. But when the job starts impacting mental health, when we see teachers leaving because they're being driven out because of behavior, what needs to change? I would really love to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to request a talk Or to drop me a a DM or a tweet because I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Paul Jones said pupil behaviour is very hard, impossible to manage at times. 23 years teaching and I feel irrelevant and invisible. Wow, 23 years. Have you been been teaching a long time? Are you an educator that's feeling that behaviour is the worst it's ever been? I definitely think there are some challenges and I think that there is certainly a rise in challenging behaviour in schools. Now, I haven't been teaching for 23 years, so I can't, I can't comment on that longevity. But I can say that I know myself, I know colleagues I work with have struggled. And so it's about what strategies we use, not just to support pupils, but also to support teachers. What needs to change? What do we need to do? What do leadership teams need to do? What do governments need to do to improve behaviour, to improve teacher well-being? Because without teachers, without educators, there are no schools. We know there's a crisis. We know there are less and less teachers. And as Paul said, if teachers are feeling irrelevant, if they're feeling invisible, If they're saying that behaviour is impossible to manage, what can we do? So um, I'm hoping that very soon um, Steve Towler will be joining us. Um, Hopefully he can get on. Um, If he's listening and you've got any problems because I know there was a little bit of connectivity where you were saying you couldn't log on, please do get in touch. Please DM us. Um, While we wait for him to join, um, I just wondered if anyone had any comments that they'd like to share. How are they feeling about behaviour? What issues are they facing within the classroom? Are you feeling any any difficulties at the moment? How has your week been? Have you seen a lot? Have you seen a lot of, of difficulties? Um, I think it can be it 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 can be draining. It can be really, really draining when you're um when you're facing challenging behaviour every day. So I'd be really interested to see how how you're feeling. Pip, uh, are you there?
3: Yeah, I am. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Um, morning, everyone. Yeah, I think for me, the key about the behaviour management firstly comes from um, how much when you're doing your teacher training do you actually, times you spend on learning about the management of behaviour in the classroom. It's a very small percentage of time when actually we all know if you don't have the behaviour, you are not getting the learning. So, I think a lot of it needs to come back to actually in the teacher training and and making more of a focus on the behavior for learning and some of the reasons as to why for some children the behavior isn't there for them to be in the right mind for learning.
2: yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and I think you raised a really good point around um uh, around teacher training you know do do you f- I'll be honest, I don't think there was enough. Um, focus on behaviour management for me when I did my training. Um, I think that it was something that I was really lucky to learn about um, through colleagues, through experienced teachers who offered me that support. But in terms of programmes, in terms of um, specifics around training, around um, different needs, SEMH, SEND, looking back in hindsight, I, I think it was lacking in that. And I think I just happened to be very lucky that I, I had a great support network around me. Um, I'd be really interested to to know how other people have, have, um, have found that. Was their teacher training adequate? Do they feel like they had enough support? What about our trainees and ECTs? If we're saying that behaviour is more challenging than ever before, is there enough programming, supporting? ECTs and trainees around behavior management and classroom management. Interestingly, um, there was a a statistic that said one third of um, NASWIT um, union members reported experiencing violence or physical abuse from pupils in the last 12 months. One third, 90% experienced verbal abuse. Are our trainees and ECTs equipped to manage that? Do they get enough support if if classroom behaviour is difficult and challenging? Even for the most experienced of teachers, 90% are experiencing verbal abuse. I mean, how do we deal with that? Are we putting enough strategies in place? Is there enough of a tiered response? And with the cuts and the budget cuts that schools are facing, is there enough pastoral care? That's one of the things I think I'm really passionate about is 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 there a tiered response? How does pastoral care fit in to to, to our strategies, to our approach? Um, I know in my provision, we do have a really clear behaviour management policy um, and it is very much tiered and it is geared towards that pastoral, but that's a real luxury. Not all schools have that. And I think Pip's right, you know, as a whole, not even just trainees and ECTs, is there enough CPD to um, to manage that, to, to support teachers in developing their practice, in understanding SEMH needs, we know that there's a huge rise in SEND students within mainstream schools. We know that children are reporting and demonstrating more SEMH needs than ever before. What are we doing to support them? Is there enough training for teachers? Do we feel that more can be done? Is that it should it be on teachers? Or does the system need to change? Do we need to offer? Um, Better packages, better support. Do schools need more money to be able to address behaviour? Is there a correlation between budget cuts and the rise in behaviour? I know that um, one person DM'd me about behaviour hubs, which are really, really interesting because they're offering the opportunity for schools to work together um, to get that co-coaching, to get that support. And it's based in area. So that means that obviously there's more support with the cohorts, um, which I think is really important because community does affect people's behaviour. Um, I think that challenges within the community, challenges in within our pupils' families can impact behaviour. So if behaviour hubs were introduced across the country, and they are rolling out in some areas, do we think that's a good thing? Is it? Is it productive to be able to reach out to other colleagues and and, and share best practice and good good strategies that work? Or is that more time that teachers have to be taken away from the planning and the teaching and given more responsibility? Obviously, it's our duty and, and, and our responsibility to manage a classroom effectively. But is there too much emphasis on it being the teacher's problem when there's issues within the classroom? Or does it need to be a more holistic approach with leadership and teachers working together with pupils, with parents and carers to offer that that, that 360 support? Um, Now, I can see that Steve says he's here, but uh, he doesn't seem to be able to log on. So hopefully we can um, rectify that and hopefully he will join us very soon.
3: Practical. Anna, can I just, sorry yeah. to interrupt, can I just say another thing for me about behaviour management, mm-hmm. as it is called, is your policy. Yeah, The policy should be written and every member of staff should be included in that. You've got to own that policy. You've got to believe in it. It can't be something that's written by an SLT team and then everyone else is told to abide and follow it. You have to have ownership of that. You have to believe that your behaviour, management, or is it modification policy? Because if we're just managing behaviour, are we really showing the pupils how they should be behaving if we're just managing it? And I do think at the moment, from obviously all the data and all of, you know, not just nationally, but kind of worldwide, the issues of behaviour post-COVID, I think we are just managing the behaviour. We're not in that position through lack of resources or personal development for us to be able to modify some of them behaviours. And that is a challenge. And, you know, I I don't have the answer. I'd be interested if somebody else, you know, has some suggestions on how we do that. You know, what is your behaviour management policy called? Is it a management policy? Is it a modification? Have you been included in it? Is it a working document? Is it updated? You know, that's core cool because like you say, a lot of um, teachers are now being verbally abused, physically abused. You need your policy to support you. It's like I said with safeguarding, your policy is everything. It has to be robust, but also you have to own it. You have to feel like you're part of that policy so that when you're making them decisions, you know, you feel involved. I, I, I do agree. I think,
2: there are a number of teachers that feel stifled and sometimes held to ransom by the by the behavior policy. I've had a lot of um, private DMs around um, frustrations um, in behavior policy and feeling like they're not being supported and that they're being questioned and and, and almost led to feel like they're being ineffective uh, as educators if there is issues within the classroom and so I agree you know our behaviour however you want to frame it like you said if it's a behaviour support policy or behaviour management policy are they being adapted because we know that behaviour is changing all the time are they reflective of what's going on at the moment you know we've, we've had some statistics there particularly obviously Um, you know one of the unions that obviously there are many different ones but the union um, information there that is saying you know 90 percent of of teachers have faced verbal abuse well you know is the behavior management support policy addressing that what are the consequences for doing that do 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 staff feel that they can own that policy and that they're they're part of it and that they can they can use it effectively or or does it disempower them because is everything just taken out of their hands are decisions left to um to leadership to make and there's no input as well i think one of the things that i found from particularly in the in the provision i work at is that it there's a lot of feedback um from from staff and staff are allowed to to give that feedback on on how they think things need to um need to be approached Um, you know because there are there are some pupils who have very specific needs and one of the things you know one of my biggest things for behavior support and management is around reflection uh, reflecting on behavior plans uh, doing that co- like collaborative discussions do that pupil conferencing what issues are we facing in the classroom which pupils is it what do those pupils need how do we address it Um, Do they need additional support? Are we using the data? Is there a trend there? Is there a particular lesson or time of day that that pupil is really struggling in? And are we seeing challenging behaviour around that time? Now, obviously, it's great to do all that. And I I do personally think it's a really important part of the process. But it's time consuming. Not every school has the luxury of that. Not every teacher has the luxury of going, do you know what? I'll just analyse all my data um so does that time need to be programmed in for staff non-contact time where they can look at their data they can look at the issues within the classroom and and then work together collaboratively to come up with strategies i would argue yes i think if we really want to challenge behavior i think we need to give teachers more time to reflect to use data to have cpd to to be able to tackle some of the issues because we can't be experts in everything, but if we co-coach together, we can share good practice. There may be strategies that work in one class that if they were implemented in another would work. You know, if, if a pupil is is responding well to a particular staff member, to a particular approach, is that approach being shared, um, which could have a positive impact for other, other teachers, other staff, but it's time. And do we, do we always get that time? It's difficult, isn't it? And if we are seeing such a rise in behaviour in the classroom, do we then need to programme it in? I would be really interested in hearing your thoughts on that because I know from, from someone that's in the classroom myself, I think it's really important. But I also know, as a leader, as a member of leadership, time
1: is tricky. <laughs> Teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialized solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, Edapt are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Edapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT, supporting school staff, protecting careers. And, you know,
2: we'd love to have multiple um, additional PPAs and non-contact time how do we staff that will our budgets allow it and it's that constant seesaw effect isn't it we we know we need it but can we do it so yeah interesting stuff thank you to everybody that is listening in so far we've had some really um lovely replies here um coach luca thank you you've said while while doing some rj practice do you have any data that has been conducted and therefore presents the impact of the work that is integrated within the behaviour plan, policy and strategy of the school. Yeah, we're coming back to that data, aren't we? Are we using that data? Um, Restorative justice practice um, is really interesting. I know it's kind of a hot topic at the moment. Trauma-informed as well is a hot topic. Um, Has your school implemented any of these particular programmes or strategies to kind of like look at behaviour and support it? Um, I know there's been quite a lot on social media around saying either agreeing and saying it works really well and other people feeling that it's not um, perhaps it's not working or it's not relevant to their educational setting. I'd be really interested to hear if um, if you're using it is it going well is it is it frustrating you is it something that you know you feel yeah uh, I'm really passionate about this and actually it's working incredibly well for our most challenging of young people. Or is it something else that you have to be involved in that you think, no, actually, this doesn't work for us, and yet we're still having to do it? So please do get in touch. Please message. Please feel free to jump on as a speaker. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'm hoping that Steve will join us soon. Um, As I say, I can see that at one point he was um, trying to get on. Hopefully he's been able to DM the team and we can get that sorted for him. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask... Today, too. Old.
0: Anna, I've had nothing from him. So yeah. if he hasn't DM'd as he
2: needs to. Yeah, please do if you're listening along. I can see that there's a message on here saying he's here. Um, so I'm hoping he can DM and then join because it would be great to hear from him. Um, one of the questions I want to ask our listeners was if anyone had had any personal experience of challenging behaviours, perhaps themselves as a pupil. Um, do you reflect as a teacher now on your behaviour within the classroom? I know I certainly do. Um, obviously, I went to school a long time ago, but I know myself that there were things that perhaps I did in the classroom that, um, and how I manage things like anxiety and demands within the classroom. Um, do I think that's different to the way pupils present now? Yeah, Absolutely. But I know myself that I struggled quite a lot with anxiety and around the demands of being kind of like asked questions. And sometimes I wonder, perhaps if there'd been a different approach, would I have behaved any differently? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that one of the things that I'm passionate about is supporting young people who do have SEMH issues. It's why I I currently work in alternative provision. And I know that some of the strategies that we use around working with our young people are something that you know can be used across mainstreams things like having that pupil conferencing with colleagues really important but also having that conferencing with um with the pupils themselves on a one-to-one basis now again that's incredibly time consuming if you've got a class of 30 but that's where i think our leadership and our pastoral teams need to step in can they be working with those young people are there um, strategies that they can identify are we offering a robust enough uh, pastoral package? If Do we know our pupils and why they're behaving the way they are? You know, I think we're very lucky um, in alternative provision. We get to know our families and our, our pupils very well because we've got the luxury of, of different class sizes. But if we see challenging behaviour, do we know what's going on at home for our young people? Do we know what they're doing in the community? Do we know the challenges and the barriers that they're facing? And if we put that pastoral support in one-to-one meetings, um, opportunities for check-ins, positive behaviour plans where we're talking about young people and saying, okay, if I I feel like this, this is what I'm going to do. If I feel like that, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on not disrupting learning. Instead, I'll, I'll take five minutes out or I'll use a fidget toy or you know I'll do some deep breathing are those plans in place for those children are we using that information about what's going on in school as well at home as well as at home are we using that and is there time to do that again it's it it is difficult because for our mainstream colleagues we have and I'm thinking about primary and secondary we have big classes we have big cohorts and within those cohorts there are lots of challenging behaviours do we simply have time to go through every single child and and give that deep-rooted pastoral support are are we able to do that or do you does your behaviour management and support policy have that tiered approach where it gets passed on to the next person and the next person and then is that fed back are we communicating to each other enough about the situations I know I had one DM from, from a listener who said that sometimes there can be issues that go on in the classroom, that pupil leaves, there can be pastoral work done or, or there can be work done with the head of year or head of behaviour, but the information, the re- resolution to that issue isn't filtered down to them. So all they're seeing is disruptive disruptive behaviour, disruption to learning, pupil leaves, and there'll be some kind of consequence on one of their systems. But the actual reasoning behind it, the actual digging deep and finding out what's going on, that information's not shared. And if we're not sharing that information, how do we um, how do we best approach those pupils? Because surely that's not best practice. Are we doing enough to log behaviours and to look for those trends and analyse that? Are we doing enough to share Um to share information i'd be really interested in hearing from you so if you feel that you know you've got something you'd like to share whether that be a personal experience whether that be a a strategy that's really really working for you or for your school please do get in touch because as i say i think it's really really important that we do hear from you um so before we continue really important message from our fantastic sponsors Again, I can't stress enough how important it is to be part of a union. The advice, the support, the guidance are absolutely vital as educators. So, teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where edapt come in. They're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without politics. What makes ADAPT different? Well, they're always apolitical and independent. They specialise solely in supporting individual teachers. Every caseworker is professionally qualified, ensuring you get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are there for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT, supporting school staff, protecting careers. And there's something special for Teacher Talk Radio listeners. Use the codes TTRANNUAL or TTR Monthly, and you'll receive a 10% discount on a subscription. With EDAPT, you could save over £80 compared to an equivalent union membership, I mean that's absolutely amazing and as i said i think it's really really important for all of us educate as educators to get that union support so if you're not in a union please please consider using adapt because they are different and they're fantastic so moving on i think it's remiss of me if we don't mention jamie sampson today obviously um There's been a lot of of talk on social media this week because for anybody that doesn't know, Jamie Sampson was the maths teacher who um, was shockingly, shockingly attacked at school, um, stabbed, um, quite seriously injured. And this week, the 15-year-old who stabbed him was sentenced to 14 months. And in his victim impact statement... Jamie said, I worry this is going to happen again in a school environment. Now, um, I know from quite a few people who have DM'd me that they've said that they don't feel safe in school as an educator, that they feel that behaviour is increasing, ever increasing, ever coming, becoming more challenging. Again, that kind of shocking statistic before... That said about um, violence increasing in schools. What's the answer? Do you agree with Jamie's impact statement that you think there's going to be serious incidents in school again? How do we n- navigate that as educators? Do we need to do more in terms of um, changing our curriculum and adapting our curriculum to address our young people's mental health needs um do we need to focus more on strategies such as anger management managing emotions positively are our kind of life skills personal development pshe curriculums robust enough to teach our young people those um skills but also to help them understand why school is important and why although behavior may be a uh, um communication and an an opportunity for um young people to express themselves why they need to have that level of respect why they need to be um working with teachers and educators i think we've got a a, somebody who'd like to speak so please feel free to share your uh, share your views
4: Hello. Hi, it's hello. It's Steve. Ah, Steve, thank you ah, for joining. Us. You're finally on. So yeah, I am so sorry. I've been frantically tapping and changing settings in phones and laptops. And a friend of mine has just run around and handed me a phone. So I apologise, Anna. Sorry. Oh
2: my goodness. Don't worry at all. We we've been having lovely conversations. Kind of starting to reflect on behaviour. And one of the things I was just saying was was about. Whether do we think we're doing enough in terms of our PSHE, our life skills PD curriculums, are we working enough on mental health and support so that our young people realise the importance of the classroom environment, that they have the strategies to manage their mental health and that they work with us on their behaviour because although behaviour is a form of communication, we may agree or disagree with that, there's been quite a lot of controversy this week, we need our classrooms to be a safe environment and we need our young people to manage their emotions positively so that we are creating um positive and safe learning environments and and you know we do have a lot of issues around scmh now and we know that but how do we work collaboratively together to ensure that our young people have this um have the skills needed to navigate the classroom positively because the reality is in all walks of life um in jobs employment education training in life itself we have to be able to communicate our our um our emotions positively we need to be able to learn those life skills like listening like working collaboratively like responding to demands which you know if the demands of the classroom are um are setting our young people up for the demands of life now that said not everybody can um can have can can and not all young people are ready for the classroom environment and we know that but then what are we doing as educators? What are the government doing? Do we need a, a a more robust approach? But anyway, I digress, that's something to think about and we'll park it, we'll come back to it because I'd be really interested, particularly from our listeners, to hear about their thoughts on that. Um but for now, Steve, welcome. Uh, do you would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? So.
4: Hi, yeah, morning everybody. I have been on, I have been listening from the very beginning and I've also heard uh, other contributions from other speakers. So uh, I have been on, I have been listening to you, Anna, as you've been going along, just haven't been able to join myself. So yes, my name's Steve, Steve Towler. I am currently Acting Head of Behaviour and Attendance at a large pupil referral unit Mm -hmm. um, and have been there for a short period of time, uh, but have um, experiences before the Pru world, shall we say
2: okay okay so could you could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background because i believe you've worked in in quite a number of settings is that right
4: yeah so following uh following university I actually joined the police service okay. um and within the police i quickly moved into what we call the public protection unit worked in the domestic violence unit which brought me into contact with lots of um family and children moved from that unit then into the child protection unit and i was a detective constable working within the child protection unit uh, working to safeguard young people who may have experienced some trauma um, at the hands of somebody who they should have been able to trust going in uh in certain situations safeguarding the child working with the family working with lots of multi-agencies in order to ensure their safety there going forwards. I then worked, uh, did that for around six years, then worked within um, the Sex Offenders Unit, also around the safeguarding and protection of children as a detective. Following that, uh, for a number of reasons, the main one really being that I was only really engaging with young people at a time of their lowest ebb when they've been subject to something horrific that they shouldn't have been subject to. And I'd be involved in that child, that young person's and that family's life for a period of months. Um, and then I'd dip out again and engage again with another family. And my wife was a teacher and she was saying, you know, there's lots of young people who you could help on a more regular daily basis, affect their lives in a more positive manner going forward. Uh, and be there long-term for them. So that is what I did. Uh, I came out of the police, went into education. Since then, uh, because of my background, I've definitely gone down the pastoral, uh, SENCO behaviour attendance route, as opposed to the quality of ed route. Um, And that's where I currently find myself. I've worked uh, assistant head and acting deputy head in a mainstream primary, responsible for Uh, behavior, attendance, mental health. I was the SENCO there and then moved from there into specialist provision, working in ASC schools as as a class teacher, actually went back into being a class teacher, working working in schools for catering for severe autistic traits and then moved into, and I worked in a number of those settings and now working in the PRU.
2: So what obviously you've had an awful lot of experience which is incredible. So what given that and kinds of what we've been talking about today what what do you think are the biggest challenges that we're we're facing in the classroom at the moment? What do you think that well in schools in ge- not just in the classroom in school in general?
4: I always like to start on a positive. There is lots and lots of good practice going on. Mm in schools mainstream schools and specialist provisions up and down the country and the vast majority of young people are um are engaging and are displaying behaviors that we'd want to see in schools however like the statistics that you mentioned before in terms of the recent report there are challenges and there are significant challenges uh, across the whole education setting We can't underestimate, and I know nobody does underestimate the impact that COVID has had Mm. um, coming out of that, the lost education, but not only that lost education time, the amount of social interactions, the positive relationship buildings that the young people need at such a young age, particularly those who've lost their reception year one, year two years, all those Times where they should be building those positive, healthy relationships with peers and staff and adults, uh, we've we've lost that, and are we starting to see the result of that um, now? Currently, obviously, I work with secondary pupils. It's not only the younger ones; it's the secondary pupils as well. Uh, dis- displaying the challenging behaviours, uh, attendance is massively affected and down, as we know nationally, and it's almost become socially acceptable for the young people to be off school now. Mm -hmm. And when they're coming back in from periods off, their relationships with their peers is strained. Their relationship with staff is strained, which is being presented in uh, behavioural issues as well.
2: I think that's a really interesting point, actually. Sorry to interrupt you, Steve. I think that's a really interesting point that I've not touched on that I think is massive, is around those relationships, peer relationships, staff relations staff pupil relationships i mean in mainstreams it's so hard because you have such big classes to get that rapport to be able to spend that time to develop those relationships but they are massively important aren't they for for our young people and and massive if you want to see changes in behavior i think
4: yeah absolutely and like you alluded to before and i know this you know behavior is communication what i'd ask is do we agree or not agree? This is a rhetorical question for yourselves to think about. Do young people act in an unwanted manner for no reason whatsoever? There is often, there's usually a reason for their behaviour. There's some background, there's some need, an unmet need behind their behaviour. It's very unusual for a young person to act in a certain way for no particular reason. So if we generally agree that young people do not act in an unwanted way for no reason, then what is the reason? Mm. And can we impact on that? Is it an unmet need? Is it a form of communication? Like we say, is there a send need that we're not aware are, even if we are aware of them, are we meeting the needs of the young people even when we know what their needs are? Um, I would very much welcome the support of Senkos if there's any Senkos on at the moment. Do we use our Senkos enough? Often in schools, they are the most trained, if I use that uh experience the most levels of training or input or investment in training. Do we use the Senkos in our schools enough? Mm. I'm not too sure.
2: It's really interesting actually because. Uh pip came on before and she said um, you know it she asked that question about training and said you know are our are, are staff getting enough training to be able to 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 support young people and ensure best, best practice when it comes to behavior and we've actually had a, a tweet here from miss m that says i do think that the education system needs to change for the start of each new year and term i think schools need to put an emphasis on prepping pupils for learning developing their communication and interact interaction skills as well as social skills before we think about lessons and i kind of alluded to it a little bit before we respect in the classroom is is key you know all teachers deserve to feel safe. All educators do. All pupils deserve to, to feel safe. We know that behaviour is an issue. And we, you know, as I say, we know that, you know, there's a rise in SEND and SEMH needs. We know that. And, you know, it's really important that we do acknowledge that. But at the same time, we're not preparing our young people for life if we're not supporting them in realising that disruption, disruptive behaviour and um, challenging behaviours can you know don't aren't appropriate for the for the outside world now that's not to say that you know we expect all our young people to conform and and you know and and be robots and kind of be absolutely perfect all the time absolutely not but we need to empower our young people to manage their emotions positively to be able to adapt to their behaviors to negate life around them because life is tough and out in the real world when we you know when our young people eventually leave school they have to navigate that independently so i guess we we need to be really tackling behavior and helping to empower our young people so that they can go out and be happy successful and safe citizens because they are going out into the real world um now i just wanted to ask you steve Obviously, you've mentioned before about um, about your police training. Does that impact the way that you approach behaviour in, in school? Your experience of that?
4: Yeah, I would say it does. And what, what I mean by that is when we talk about uh, the, the ACEs, Adverse mm-hmm. Childhood Experiences, mean trauma-informed, I've spent a lot of time in the homes and within the family communities uh, of these young people uh, before even thinking about coming into education. Um, and when, when we talk in schools about the ACEs, when we talk about the family units and the misuse of substances and the violence and the sexual offending against children uh, and the neglect and all these things that impact on the the young person going through life, I've, experienced it and been within it within the home Mm -hmm. within the 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 communities and within the home addresses of these young people and i've seen it firsthand um and i do take that into situations with me uh Mm -hmm. when i'm in schools and i do try and i've been there as a class teacher and as and a school leader where it is frustrating but i do see through the behavior see beyond the presentation of that young person in front of you, see through that and think about why or what the possible reasons that those behaviours have been manifested in that classroom, on that playground, on those corridors. Um, and I, I do take that police experience of protecting those young people in the home dresses into schools, uh, and I do have first-hand experience of those ACEs, yeah.
2: That's, that, uh, it, I think, well, I mean how can it not impact the approach and i think you know obviously like you said you take that with you and you know it it does change the way you approach behavior but but what about for our kind of our our classroom teachers our classroom educators um what are the kind of the main priorities or what are the, the kind of the main points that you think are are important for addressing behavior that maybe our, our our listeners can implement within their own classrooms
4: creating that safe environment for the young people to come into uh, and it's something you mentioned shortly mm-hmm. uh, shortly ago in relation to the children's needs and if you think it obviously it was done a long time ago but it's still relevant that that maslow's hierarchy of need when the young people come into school we do not know or, or sometimes we do know what has come before that school day for that young person. Mum, dad may have had an argument the night before. Whoever they're living with may have had an argument the night before. Police may have been involved. They might not have slept very well throughout the night. They may not have slept in their own bed. They might have not known who was in the home address. Did they feel safe before coming to school? Have they had the breakfast? Has somebody looked at them funny on the way into school? All these things impact before the child even arrives at school they're not feeling safe they're not feeling um they, they haven't had those two basic levels of need on the maslow's hierarchy of need they're not met, and then we expect them to sit quietly on the floor in a sports hall with the legs crossed, listening to the head teacher while they talk about one of their values and again that 's what I talk about when we look through seeing through the behavior, but that said, I understand that in the classroom environment, in the school environment, it's easier said than done sometimes. Mm. But if the young people know, no matter what's gone on before, you know, no matter what's happened at home, school is that safe environment for them where they are listened to. They have an adult or two, ideally two, that they can go and speak to. They have um, the support and they're listened to and they're treated with dignity and respect within school so they know that school is their safe place creating that environment within your classroom and it might be the teacher or the teaching assistant or the pastoral support which is also absolutely imperative the the, the pastoral support within school just cannot be uh underestimated as to how important that is how it impacts on behavior and the safeguarding practices how that impacts on behavior
2: and I, and so,
4: I think we've got a question from tom rogers
2: go on tom
0: Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, it was just a question for the guests, very briefly, because I only got two minutes. Um, Tom, Tom, it sounds like you're broadcasting from my phone. Yeah, probably. Um, I was just going to ask because I, when you were saying about there's always a reason or a need. Um, I mean, I disagree with that. I think. I, I mean, I don't know if I disagree. In the sense that the reason can just be, I want to have a laugh. Right. I want to have a laugh. And in that moment, there's no deeper story behind it. It's just I want to have a laugh, so I'm going to flick this piece of paper at another student. There, there is no, there is no deeper need or or, or reason behind that. Um, and yeah, so I think it's dangerous to sort of go along the lines of every child um, x applies to um, and not. And the other thing is as well is is sort of the other sort of question or prompt there was about preparing students for life after the age of 18. Um, talking about not wanting someone to talk about the values. Well, that's going to have to happen at some point. Um, certain things are going to have to happen at some point and people aren't going to ask the reasons why um, later on in terms of why are you not being not given the minimum level of respect to a speaker, you know? Anyway, there's two prompts. I've got to go now. Um, but great show, Anna. Great guest. Great conversation. Uh, catch you Thanks, later. Thanks,
2: Tom. Thanks. Yeah. But th- and thank you for, for, for contributing. I think, um, Steve, obviously, you take a minute to kind of like think about what Tom's just said. I, I do sort of think there's, I see what Tom's saying in a way, because I think some of the statistics kind of, again, I know I'm mentioning them again, but we've had, you know, we've had so many DMs from from teachers that are frustrated, that feel worried or anxious, who feel powerless because of of behaviour policies that maybe aren't, aren't effective. And, you know, I go back to that, you know, that NASBIT report that said one third of their, their teachers have reported experiencing violence or physical abuse from pupils. And the fact of, well, we've got to create safe learning environments and spaces for our students, for our pupils, our young people. We need to do that for um for our teachers and our educators as well. And we had a tweet from um, Coach Luca and it was really interesting and it, and it was something that I thought about because it's something that I think happens quite a bit in in some schools if they have um, quite a, a robust pastoral support. Um, but also, you know, depending on what your behaviour policy is, it may be something that's starting to come a bit up more now because I know a lot of schools are doing restorative justice practice. And he said that they've got someone full-time that, 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 that facilitates that um, in their school which is absolutely cr- incredible because one of the things you've mentioned yourself Steve is about money and about kind of pastoral support being key and we know that budgets are tight and that you know they've got to kind of we have to navigate that and cuts are made and quite often it can be pastoral that's, that that's um, cut from and I think there's something to be said for teachers having a say in how behaviour impacts them and, that the young, and young people hearing that um, and then working collaboratively to move forward, whether that's a, a behaviour plan, whether that's a behaviour agreement, whether it's a support plan for the pupil. Um, but really interesting that Coach Luca had said um, that they have a full-time member that conducts the work through the year and, um, and it's been really effective. Um, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and something that can help kind of alleviate tensions in the classroom as well because like Tom said if you've got a pupil who's like flicking behavior, flicking paper and causing some disruption to learning as educators we you know every every day is fresh every lesson is a fresh start but do you have anxiety if there's repeated disruption to learning towards that pupil are they picking up on it do you feel like there needs to be some kind of meeting or restorative to happen so that you can you can get you can move forward and move past that behavior um i think that's something really interesting but steve would you like to respond to tom at all is there anything that you know anything conjured up from kind of his comments
4: yeah i i fully understand where his comments and where he's coming from and i was As you have to do when you're talking, generally, it is a general statement. I did think I did say as well. Sometimes that isn't the case where it's not met need, and yeah, it may well be the case that uh, he is that young person flicking the paper is trying to get the an unwanted uh, response uh, from him or from pupils or whatever it may be. It doesn't mean that there isn't. An underlying issue behind that, why he's trying to do that. But I do understand the frustrations from teachers. And like you said there, Anna, it's within the school's behavior policy. And I am a big believer in culture, that culture eats policy for breakfast type, that it, we want to create the culture of mutual respect and respect of the adults and pupils alike. Mm. And it is conducive with the policy, the behavior policy like Pip said before it does need to be a working document almost it's a done with not a done to where the staff are consulted the young people are consulted as well and it's consistent and fairly uh, used across the school by school leaders and that culture does need to be driven from the top and it has to be consistent and fair across the board. And there are a number of policies, uh, not policies, there are a number of systems, like you said, in terms of IEPs and restorative practices and other approaches, uh, packages that can be used for training or bought in by schools that are effective. Um, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge across the board. I'm seeing some of your tweets here Um it's, co- it's,
2: it's caused quite i've got to be honest i knew this was going to happen
4: I yeah knew if, i
2: knew if we i knew if we talked behavior i knew from the dms from the tweets and a lot of it was dms and i understand why because teachers need to protect themselves and they want to share their thoughts in a in a safe often um anonymous environment which i completely respect um mm-hmm. and i, I it, this isn't a one show topic you know i am going to keep coming back to this a lot over (laughs) not i won't bore listeners you know all the time with it but i think it's something we need to come back to because it's an ever-growing issue that we face and i think paul who i know listens all the time massive big shout out to paul tom said um we are sliding towards the argument that students cannot control their own behaviour. If we excuse it as an unmet need met, is this potentially a dangerous approach? And Paul wrote back massively, I would say, if basic decent behaviour is an unmet need, does that mean it is the fault of the teacher? Is this another area that is being taken away from parent- parental responsibility? And that's an interesting point because I kind yeah. of, I touched on it earlier in the show and said, you know, We we want obviously we all want the best for our pupils, we all want the best for our our students and our young people. And in an ideal world, we would have all the time in the world to analyse data and look for trends and patterns and create wonderful and in depth behaviour support plans and agreements with pupils and um analyse every every pupil's background and, and go out and work with families and look at you know what what why are young people are demonstrating the behavior the, the behavior in class, and, and what, what what are the issues around disruptive learning? What are they trying, What what are they experiencing? What are they going through? But the reality of our large scale mainstream, whether that's primary or secondary, is that there just isn't that time. And I suppose it's really difficult because is it it, it is down to the, the 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 teachers to manage everything. Even though the, they might have the best leadership in the um, support in the world they might have the best behavior plans but in the classroom in the thick of it it's up to that teacher to manage that classroom so that it is safe so that it is a, a, yeah. a nurturing environment and we're a place of learning and um, I suppose I can understand frustrations of, of, of teachers who feel like well you know we, we're seeing this challenging behavior staff don't feel safe some children don't feel safe and we're the ones managing it every day and, and so I you know I I do understand why why it's a, a controversial topic because it's one that's literally affecting every classroom, every school up and down the country, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I, I'm just looking at one of your tweets now where it says some students genuinely misbehave to have a laugh. Why is it controversial to say this? It, it's not controversial to say that uh, that is, that that is the case, and that's why where, where your behaviour policy needs to be robust and consistent across your setting and the behaviour policy within that as well as as well as having acknowledgement to uh, to uh, to the needs of the young people and making reasonable adjustments which we all know we have to do and as well as celebrating and rewarding positive behaviour there there has to be that that system within your school that is strong enough to challenge unwanted behaviour and challenge it effectively with the support of your SLT, with support of parents and and other agencies, potentially. Um, It's not controversial to say that some people do display unwanted behaviours just because they want to. That is also part of it. Um, And that is part of classroom management, school management, to challenge that and challenge it effectively effectively. To show other young people that we have a standard within our school. It is the leaders' responsibility within the school to set what that standard is, to make sure that all staff members in school are on the bus, as Jim Collins would say, facing the right direction, right people in the right jobs, that the behaviour within that school, everyone knows what is accepted and what isn't. And if young people are displaying unwanted behaviours, then it's challenged appropriately. And sanctions are in place to, to deal with that as well
2: i think that's really important i'm going to ask you a bit of a, a question a tough question here and i'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think about it um i think you've really eloquently put that we are you know we're, we're facing we're facing tough times as educators um around behavior our young people are facing tough times as well so what are your three non-negotiables then if we're looking it's the so what isn't it what so we we know we've got this issue um We we know that it's affecting young people and educators. So what are your three non-negotiables for moving forward positively with behaviour, behaviour management, behaviour support? And while you're thinking, I'm just going to read an advert from our lovely sponsors because, as I said before, super, super important that you're in a union. And luckily, with Edapt, you can have that fantastic support Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges, and I think we've definitely been talking about some of those today. That's where EDAPT come in. They're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without politics. So what makes edapt different? Well, they're always apolitical and independent. They specialise solely in supporting individual teachers. Every caseworker is professionally qualified, ensuring you get the best possible advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. So whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, edapt are there for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen edapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today edapt supporting school staff protecting careers and here's something special for teachers talk radio listeners use the codes ttr annual or ttr monthly and you'll receive a 10 percent discount on a subscription with edapt you could save over 80 pounds compared to the equivalent union membership so i cannot stress it enough i will go on about it until i'm blue in the face if you are not in a union please please join one super important for collaboration you you know we're facing a lot of issues aren't we as educators the fantastic thing about a union is that you're not alone and ed are really there to support you so please consider joining right steve oh dear three, three negotiables three non-negotiables sorry three non-negotiables yeah
4: I think, come on, let's get to it. Let's start from the pupil's point of view, our expectations of pupils, Mm -hmm. what we expect them or what our requirements are of them when in our education setting. So I think it's going to be too, is it too widely spread or is it too general to say we demand respect, respect from a young person, a pupil in our schools to respect each other as peers Mm -hmm. to respect their environment to respect us as adults and educators in school is that too much to ask i don't think it is is it absolutely not but how they display that and our expectations of what we think respect is can be different between different environments and contextualize i work in a pru there's mainstream primaries and everywhere in between so respect from young people to adults and between peers, that is also comes under, we need to model that as adults, how we speak to the young people and speak to each other. So a lot of modelling goes around that, you know, we expect the young people to learn um, science and English and maths. So a lot of these young people also need to learn how to communicate with respect to to, to each other and to adults Mm. it's also a learning process to them because when they're away from us when they're away from our setting it's it's not a given that they experience adults who talk to each other in a nice way pupils who speak to each other in a nice way we're also a place of education for that you mentioned earlier Anna is it all on school's job to do this this is a society let's be honest what we're seeing in schools is a reflection of potentially how young people are are acting and feel appropriate to behave in society as well not just in our classrooms um other non-negotiables i'm going to put it back on to schools as well a culture from slt down Mm -hmm. from all of the adults in school to understand what is acceptable what is wanted and what is unwanted to behaviors and how we deal with that effectively that culture of positive behavior enforcement so when somebody does something that we we want them to do behaviors that we value our values displaying our values we have to reward that as well as sanctions ones unwanted behaviors as well so as well as the pupils there's also an emphasis on the schools to be consistent and fair and model good behavior as well and from the pupils point of view again going back to them it has to be a safe environment when they're acting in an unsafe manner or behaviors are becoming unsafe persistent disruption to learning um that is a non-negotiable because we can't have the learning experience of the young people who are engaging how we want them to we can't have their learning disrupted uh for the sake of the few I
2: think it's really interesting. You know, I mentioned it before that um, the most common reason for permanent exclusions in 2021 and 2022 was persistent disruptive behaviour. It it does. We've talked before earlier, you know, about the impact of behaviour on the classroom that, you know, up to potentially up to six weeks. Yeah. of lost learning because of disruptive behavior yeah. i mean i know it's been mentioned before on social media quite extensively about you know for our young people who want to be in the classroom who want to learn the massive impact that that has on them and their learning if there are challenging and disruptive behaviors within the classroom and the impact it has on them and also the impact on teachers you know we have yeah. talked about mental health and, and the impact behavior has on on teachers well-being and i think on young people as well, on their mental health. You know, I think there are lots of challenges, aren't there, that our young people face at the moment. You know, we we can't take away from the fact that there's been a rise in SEMD, SEMH, even emotionally-based school avoidance. Because, you know, arguably, and not just post-Covid, I think it is a societal thing, like you said before, and I think it's also the ever-changing views of school and whether school is as necessary Mm -hmm. as it used to
4: be. Just going back to the sorry Alan. just going back to what you said in relation to the persistent disruptive behavior mm-hmm. i'm glad we've moved away or i'd like to think we're moving away from this term of low level disruption
3: mm-hmm. it's
4: just low level dis- it is not low level disruption when mm-hmm. it is consistent and persistent and it's disrupting the learning of other people um so many times i've experienced it as well and maybe i've been at fault for it um it's just low level, and we even had, you know, on on recording systems, low level disruption. When you're that teacher and you've planned that lesson and you want the best for everybody in your class, in mainstream primary, when you've got mainstream schools, when you've got 30 people in your class, it become it's not low level when it is persistently disrupting the learning of other people. And I'm glad we're kind of moving away. Or I like to think we're moving away from that low level. It's not low level. It's persistent disruption of learning,
2: and I think as well what you said there is, it's the you know within the expectations of the classroom. Um, you know, we've we, with learning walks and and data collections and observations and everything else that come in between. Well, yes, you know it's up to a teacher to manage the behaviour within a classroom and cre- create a safe environment. The expectations now of and you know whether that's a mat or a local authority school of of what occurs in the classroom and what needs to happen and what learning needs to be done it's an awful lot of pressure if that learning can't be done because the 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 majority of your lesson you know is taken up with managing persistent disruptive behavior mm-hmm. ruth hall said here are we expecting too much of our young people have we got too much focus on data Rather than well-being, I think it's really interesting because we know that school, for some children, school is, is a, a real challenge. And there has been talk about whether, you know, do we need to look at the at the, at the curriculum, at our curriculum offers? Do we need to put more emphasis on PSHA, PD, life skills, however you frame it? Do we need to remove some of the pressure and the demands because our young people simply don't have the resilience to manage in the same way as historically they have done before are we are we still using a system that isn't evolving with with along with our young people and isn't reflecting the attitudes the behaviors the demands that our young people are displaying experiencing you know it, do, do you think i mean do you think we need to change do we i mean i don't know what our listeners think about that but it's hard isn't it to know what's the answer
4: schools are are an ever adapting place um and we adapt to meet the needs of the young people and us as educators we're humans at the end of the day and the, the the government paper of behavior in schools 22 talks about the um the behavior curriculum how do we deliver to the young people To the pupils what our expectations are in school and you mentioned there about PSHE and PD and class assemblies and expectations on the corridors and things like that I'd like to know what I'd like to see what the schools implement for what they call or what I would call the behaviour curriculum how will we impart in what we our expectations are non-negotiables like you said before how do we impart that to the young people? Do we use that? Do we do that in a positive manner, in a punitive manner, in a in a collaborative manner? Is it a done to and not done with? Do we use our school councils for that? Do we use mentors? It's interesting.
2: I think that's a a, a really valuable point. And so again, I come back to that. So what if 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 we've got trainees, ECTs, even our most experienced of colleagues on here. What, what advice would you give them if they're struggling with behavior in the classroom if they're struggling with behavior management or support what what tips is, as obviously someone who leads on behavior as well as other areas what what tips would you give what what advice
4: I would like to think and I'm not naive enough to think to, to, to believe it happens in every scenario or in every school I'd like to think that schools work within a team a team approach, to use our colleagues, to use experienced members of staff in school, to use our SENCOs and our senior leaders. The, the, the provision that I work in, massively supportive team. We work with each other. We understand the challenges of the setting that we work in. We can see it because um, we know each other on the faces of, a, of our staff that we work with. I'd like to think that we can rely on each other as a team, uh, dip in and out of people's expertise um uh, make sure from our leaders to our to our classroom practitioners that our training is appropriate and the the systems we have in school are there in relation to ECTs i think almost they're getting more training certainly around the SEND practice and classroom management practice may be some of our colleagues who have been in teaching 20 odd years albeit they've got the experience of the actual classroom
2: oh definitely I mean I said before my, when I think back now to my teacher training I definitely didn't get enough on behaviour management and around kind of SEMH needs it was simply because I was fortunate enough to work with some incredible experienced teachers and colleagues and educators that taught me that best practice and taught me you know though because something for me an advice I give is, is about reflecting all the time and it's not always reflecting on your own practice and what have I done wrong
1: yeah. because
2: I think that's a wrong thing to put in itself to um yeah. to, to kind of make out you've done something wrong but to go what happened there is there anything I can do differently what support can I get from my colleagues is there Something that I've spotted here that I can work on, um, but that came from really experienced colleagues, not from training. Yeah, and so I think CPD needs to be be improved. And and obviously, you know, for ECTS now and trainees, I'm really hopeful with the rise in SEMH and SEND that that it is. Um, I'd be interested to hear from ECTS and trainees about whether they think it is. But yeah, I hope for that too, really.
4: You absolutely I have, to have to up. Up. sorry. Called as a speaker
0: as well. So, sorry. You've Tom. got another speaker as well. If you want, you've got. Oh
2: yes, absolutely. John Pimple.
5: Hi, you okay, Anna? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I just have... listening, and, and I think uh, there's been lots of really good points. I, I know we've spoken before about um, the class that I've I've got this year, which is 32 children, about three different languages, and uh two one-to-ones, and lots of kids without. The HCP has actually been awarded, and yeah, I I understand sort of both sides of it. I'm lucky that I've got a um, a staff and a, a management team that are really supportive, focus on well being a lot, and couldn't ask for much more of them to be honest. And the way that we we sort of manage bea- behavior through the policy is is really reflective for the kids. You know, they would sort of. Write down their thoughts about what had happened. They go through a procedure. They, you know, they might get kept in for a playtime or something else. But I think um, what I've found is that there are more and more children whose whose reflection is almost just comes across as a just a task before they can just sort of go out and play again. You know, there's, there's yeah. nothing. There's no sort of um, there's no real loss because of their behavior, no real sanction. And I was, I just wondered, sort of logistically, practically, what people did. You know, if there is a child who is constantly uh, causing distress to the other kids, if they're, you know, if it's, um, like we were saying before, low level or not low level behavior, and that's consistent what will what will work in order to to
4: change that behaviour.
2: Steve, have you got any suggestions at all or any thoughts on that?
4: First of all, I'd like to congratulate Paul for working in, you know, the the classroom setting that he described exceptionally tough uh things you've mentioned there. Not not just the fact that you've 30 odd pupils in your class, which is a huge challenge anyway. So congratulations to Paul. Uh, and also f- for acknowledging that he's working within a supportive team and supportive leadership as well that's really really good to hear um your restorative practice is is i presume what you're talking about when when they kept in, and when you said they've got a procedure to go through i suppose it's looking at that procedure whether it is still fit for purpose what was the intention of that staying in at break time for example um is it still fit for purpose is it effective are there other practices out there that you can that you can use for that restorative practice is it done with the other pupil uh, do we use social stories and, and things like that i think what 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 we can all agree on there is no one size fits all at all for mm-hmm. what works in one classroom in the same school might not work in the classroom next door as well so it's very difficult to speak in general terms isn't it yeah, in- incredibly yeah. so. And the
5: the children who often come up in this sort of situation repeatedly, um, they, they're all sort of linked because I'd, I'd imagine like many other schools, to be honest, our, our school is a small one. It's on an estate where, you know, the vast majority of of children live really close to the school. So they see each other outside. They interact literally every day in and out of school, never really sort of going anywhere. It's really deprived area. There's lots of children who haven't been beyond the end of their, their close, if you like. So they're constantly Mm -hmm. in each other's lives without a all, all the time. So this is, it's not unusual for, say, two children to beat each other's throats for a long time. And so when you bring those children together to sort of go through, well, tell me what happened and how did that make you feel and how did it make them feel? And then let's write this down so we can log this as evidence and then we can move forward. It, it, Like you say, is it fit for purpose and does it actually... Make a, a difference to that child's mentality for when it happens again next time.
2: I think it's such a, that's such a good point to make as well about community. I think we arguably, you know, I mentioned earlier before about having and about what's going on for that young person at home and in the community, etc. But we also face the challenges whether you're mainstream SEND AP of the community what our young people are experiencing in the community and what they're then bringing into school and i think it, that's a, a really valid point as well as you know we 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 are we're doing our very best but we face a lot of challenges and a lot of resulting behaviours because of challenges in the community um i could talk about this all day i really could and but i'm super aware of the time i, I don't think that we are going to get through everything because behaviour is ever changing. Um it's such a huge issue affecting schools and educators across, you know, across the country. Um I really would I really want to follow up on this because I think there's so much more to unpick and so much more advice and information out there that we can share with each other as educators, as colleagues. Um I hope that today you take away perhaps some advice Um, some strategies. If nothing else, the message that you are not alone. Behaviour is an issue that is affecting people, schools, young people, teachers up and down the country. Um, It is stressful. It is difficult at times. So please take care of your mental health. Please know that it's not down to you to fix everything, but to use everyone around you as best as you can to do the best that you can for our young people. Thank you so much to li- for listening today, everybody. It's been incredible and I look forward to speaking to you all soon. Take care and enjoy your Sunday. Thanks, everyone.
5: Thanks. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.